Hey friends, I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. The epic comeback. Part two. Hello, everybody. We're back and we're going to talk about some media. We're going to talk about the Chalk Man. We have some feelings about it. Uh, the movie from 1988, Heathers. And then we're going to do some questions. Yes, this is a Halloween episode, which now is like a, a post Halloween episode. We do them a day late. Possibly several days later. Shh, it's, oh, it's going to be okay. If you're feeling bereft because Halloween, the best holiday of the year, is over and you just want to be mad about stuff, this is the episode for you. Absolutely. And I have to say that part of it is my fault because I picked the book and I'm so sorry about it in advance. I laughed through the entire second half of this book at Anna. Not mockingly, but with love, I hope. Yes, it was with love. I have, do have one update before we get started. I would type our Twitter username into places, and at some point, I got very t- tired of typing the last four characters. And so, in a fit of frustration, which probably was not frustration now with the handle, but with my life in general, I changed our Twitter handle to FangirlPod. It no longer has the C-A-S-T on the end. I realize now, looking back, wow, Renee, you were having some control issues at this point. But it's changed. I'm not changing it back. We have a new Twitter handle, FangirlPod. You're welcome. Which is great, because now we mix two types of collective of animals. So we are a pod and a beehive. A pod hive. The Chalk Man by C.J. Tudor was published this year. And it's about Eddie and his group of friends in 1986. It's also about Eddie and his friends in 2016. And this book, I don't even know how to describe it. What a journey. And I chose it because it was supposed to be like a scary, spooky pick for Halloween. Yes, and also because it was everywhere here in the UK. When you open the book, there are... I'm going to count this. One, two, three, four, five, six. 25 blurbs from different authors and all sorts of newspapers and publications all talking about this is the, the greatest horror novel of our times, including one from Stephen King himself saying, if you like my stuff, you'll like this. The whole premise is that these kids had the little these little chalk men secret code where they would draw chalk figures to leave each other messages. And then one day it lets a secret chalk man led them to a dead body and everything changes. Now that on its face sounds like, wow, maybe there's a ghost who rats with chalk or something. I don't know what I thought. Whatever I thought, it was not what I got when I read this book. No, it was really weird in terms of how the story progressed and how it changed back and forth in time. And, of course, it is much more about the main character, Eddie. He's the main narrator. Back in 1986, before even they found that dead body, he had been already kind of, like, obsessed with an accident that he witnessed. And it was a very, very amazingly beautiful girl who fell from a fairy's wheel, if I remember correctly. uh... No, I don't think she fell. 
a ride at the carnival broke and it like sliced half her face off. Exactly. So then he kept just then thinking about how he's, she's not so beautiful anymore. And eventually she was the person who was murdered. In the meantime, in 2016, this group of friends are about to get together again when one of them comes back into town. But then he disappears and then ends up murdered too. And there are chalk man messages that they received. First of all, this book is not scary at all. Not even a little. In terms of a Halloween read, that was a huge disappointment. I was not scared. I was annoyed. I was disgusted with the main character. That's a good emotion to have because what a main character this was. I guess the main point for me when reading this book was just how very uncomfortable I felt because it felt like this really oddly old sounding type of book because of the way that the kids addressed girls and talked about gays and there's a lot of fat shaming and pranks and jokes that were awful but they didn't change much even when they grew up everything from inside from from the main character's perspective it just sounded very odd even in 2016 he kept continuously addressing himself as an old man and yet he had my age he was 42 and that was very disquieting to me and then we find out that he's not really a good person at all even he's not the killer but he's definitely not a hero he is a psychotic hoarder Yes, and how much of it then influences the fact that we disliked them because then now we are supposed to dislike him because <laughs> he's not a good person. Listen, I got a bad vibe from this dude. As a kid, he had like serious mental problems that were not being addressed. I mean, I guess 1986 mental health wasn't a big deal and people didn't talk about it. Like he was stealing shit and then hoarding it. Listen, the end of this book, when we found out his ultimate hoarding prize. Was the head of the girl that got dismembered. They never found her head. And then in the end, it's revealed that it is one of the things that he has kept throughout the years. Because he's a hoarder. And her head is inside a plastic bag, I guess. When he leaves his home, he doesn't take it with him. He puts it back into the house. Listen, I don't even know what to make of this book. Because I... Started the book hating the main character. I just did not like him. I got a super bad vibe. There's this book, you know, by Gavin DeBecker, like The Gift of Fear, was like, trust your fear instinct. And as I was reading this book, I'm like, I don't like this character. There's something wrong. Something is up. I was right. (laughs) But like, there were interesting books inside this book that I wanted. For example, I would have really liked to read the book from Nikki's perspective. The, The girl girl that was their only girl in their friend group yes the token girl it's just incredible to me how much this book reads like it by stephen king he also had a token girl he also had a group of friends and it also went between the 60s and the 80s and there was a monster and a crime and an older group of bullies and it's just incredible even the main character if i'm not mistaken it was called eddie so i would say this is maybe an attempt at a homage But even though I hated it, I still loved the kids in that book. And in this book, I just hated everybody. And and they were all jerks. In the end, one friend killed the other. And then they were all responsible for each other's miseries. There were a lot of unhealthy relationships. A lot of them. And um, a lot of sexual abuse. Rape. Teachers banging students. Priests banging 
students. The women in this book, the women in this book, are literally there to be harassed, abused. And then really horrible people too, in the end. It's just really a cast of really awful characters. And I mean, there is a public out there for this book. It just wasn't us. I did not like this book, Anna. I did not like it. I'm so sorry. It was just so bad. It was. I thought it was badly written too. I have complicated feelings about the writing, uh, mostly because I read it in audio. So when I read stuff in audio, I don't really pick up on the annoying writing bits. But I would often get confused about who was the hell was talking. Who was talking? Oh, there are no dialogue tags. It's just re- huge chunks of um, dialogue, but without us knowing who said what. Yeah. Unless you are really following in reading. I don't know how that worked when you were listening to it. Yeah. I tried to figure out like what the author was trying to accomplish with this book. Was she trying to make a point about secrets? Who we trust? Toxic friendships? Toxic relationships? There were so many points being made here that I'm not sure what to think of them. So, for example, another thing that maybe re- gave me pause is that the main character's father had Alzheimer's and that has weighed on the character for a long time because he feels he'll get it too. In the end, it is shown that he forgets something and we know that it's the beginning of Alzheimer's for him. Is that is that supposed to be a punishment? Is that supposed to excuse him? How do we see mental illness in this book? Given the fact that mental illness doesn't seem to be addressed at all, by anybody. And then there was the weird thread where Nikki, who left when they were young because her father was brutally attacked, and the border that Eddie has, Chloe. Me, reading through this book, going, oh my god, what if Chloe is like secretly a reporter? Like, trying to uncover the mystery of what happened here in this town. That would have been a much better book. That, that wasn't what was happened, no. She's really only there to get beaten and bad guy tried to murder her. So the priest was the killer. The priest was Nikki's father. He was abusing her. He had an abusive relationship with other women. And then when the young girl he was having sex with became pregnant, he murdered her, except he didn't murder her because he got her confused with another girl. I asked in our notes, why is this book so celebrated? Why do so many people like this book? Like, what did they say about it that made the, that made them like it so much. The Guardian newspaper says that there is strong characterization, plenty of plot twists, that's a lie, and an evocative portrait of small town life in the 1980s and riveting read. Do small towns work differently in the UK? What's happening? You Listen, Anna, do you got something you don't want to tell me? I don't know. I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up here. UK people, I need to know. What the fuck's happening in your small towns in the 80s? Because my small town was boring as fuck. Well, do you know what? I'm listening to a podcast right now about small town murder in America. And it was in 1989. So it really wasn't for me, this book. I just don't understand how they, like these really popular books get chosen. They're like, who plucked this one out of a pile and be like, this one? This one is the one the claw is going to choose. This is what we're going to spread all over the world. I don't know. One of the reasons why I chose it was because it was a horror novel by a woman, too. And I was excited about that. This was not a horror novel. I mean, it's supposed to be. This is being marketed as horror, but it is not a horror novel. I've read some horror novels. I know what a horror novel looks like. 
This was not a horror novel. At most, this was a really shitty thriller that wasn't that thrilling. Was there anything about it that you liked? Like I said, there were good books here where if the book had been from the perspective of Nikki, I think it might have been way more interesting. Or if it had been from the perspective of Chloe and she wasn't who she was, she was actually the reporter that I had hoped she was, it would have been way more interesting. I don't know if she deliberately made this character boring as hell. I don't know if she did that on purpose, but mm, mm, mm. nope. I can like an antihero. That's fine. I've liked plenty of antiheroes in my time. I don't necessarily need a character to be likable. I just need the character not to make me feel slimy. I'm thinking back, I think it was White Tears. Didn't the guy from that book make you feel slimy? But they were awful. And the book seemed to know they were awful. That's the point. Yeah, because this book was just like, oh, he's not that bad. He's just a, he's just a dude. No, he's not a, just a dude. He's really creepy. He needs help. He is ill. Going around collected human skulls. Creep. But do we think that he became like that after he was assaulted? Do you think that that's what the book is saying? First, he witnessed the horrible accident. Then he was brutally assaulted by an older bully. Sexually assaulted, to be clear. Sexually assaulted by an older bully. Which, like, that scene was just so awful. Yeah, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And I was not happy. That's when I was done with this book. But I still finished it, but I was done. I was like, I don't even care. I mean, I need to know what happens, but I don't really care. And I'll, then I also figured out exactly what happened a little bit past that. I figured out exactly what was going on. I'm like, fuck. Okay, I guess. Also really implies in the book that the guy who sexually assaulted him was gay. Yeah, it did. It made me really uncomfortable to associate being gay with sexually abusing people. And of course, then he gets killed too. I mean, really, there are no heroes or anything nice happening in the chalk man. So the chalk thing, I was really into that. I was like, this could be super creepy. I can't wait. So really all it was, they get some chalk. They all have different colors. They leave each other messages. And then at some point, our main character learns that he can manipulate his friends using this chalk. And then he uses it to manipulate his friends. Real creepy. That's when he found the body of the girl. He took her head and then he spread the messages so that they could find the girl. Isn't that what happened? Yeah. He literally left the messages himself so that he could go back, leave messages for his friends. They could all get together and then go find the dead, this dead, this dead body of this girl. Why? Nobody's nice. A lot of people die. The girls get fucked. The end. I think this book really is about toxic relationships. It has to be. I'm going to choose to go with this reading. If anybody likes to read about these things, just go ahead and read the book, I guess. I'm literally giving it zero space bees. Zero. Me too. Ew. The Chalk Men is by CJ Tudor. If you've read it and you have a reading that maybe explains some of the bonkers stuff happening in this book, please send us an email fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com and explain it to us. What did you find valuable in this book? We would love to hear your perspective because we're just grossed out. In 1988, Heathers entered the world. It stars Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. It's about a very snobby group of girls who mistreat each other. And one of them gets so angry that she joins up with a sociopath to kill people. 
So I know this movie was making a lot of commentary on suicide and how talking about suicide can trigger more suicides. Do you have thoughts? Christian's later was really hot. Since I missed out on his teen heartthrob years, I sort of came to Christian Slater when he was older and doing not these kind of movies. So there was this movie called Bed of Roses, and he like runs a flower shop, and he's this super nice guy. And there's this woman who's afraid of commitment, and he's a super nice guy and very patient with her. And so that's really how I came to Christian Slater, the actor. So imagine my shock when I go back through his previous films, like this one, or pump up the volume. I was very confused. So when was the first time you watched Heather's then? I think I was about 13. Did you watch it at the time? No. No, no. It was much later. I did not see it until like the mid to late 90s. So when did I watch it for the first time? I don't remember, but I remember I was so into it. I used to watch it all the time because I had a huge crush on Christian Slater. I had a folder where I collected pictures and newspaper clippings about Christian Slater together with Kevin Costner. It was a, it was a two-for-one folder because if you remember, they were together in that movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is the best Robin Hood version. Don't at me. And he was Will Scarlet. And I just loved him. And I loved him in Heathers. And I loved Heathers. Cue me now watching Heathers for the first time in more than 20 years. The movie that I watch now was not the movie that I thought I had watched when I was a teenager, for sure. I think so many things about this movie went well over my head at that time. Like, how could I possibly be in love with Christian Slater in that movie with that character? That's... So I was very, very surprised that the movie went like it did in my mind. Actually, the story was completely different in my head, in my memory, too. I thought all the Heathers had been murdered. By actually, they were, they were all accidents, but they were not accidents at all. I would say that he was a psychopath and Veronica was a sociopath. That's the distinction I would make between the two of them. And I would say that Veronica is not the hero because she really wanted those deaths, too. There's one hero of this movie. Who is it? Martha. Oh, yes. Live through some shit at Martha. And she still stayed kind and nice. So much bullying. And I know the movie, the way the movie ends, where Veronica survives this dude who wants to blow up the school and takes over Heather's mantle from the from another Heather who had been using it to be a jerk and decides to use it to be nice to people. Okay, movie. Sure. I'm sure you can heal all the problems that are plaguing this school with uh, some movie nights with nerds. Yeah, but then that basically excuses Veronica, but she was an accomplice to JD. I know, the movie's like, we're going to try to like rehabilitate her a little bit. Here, she's going to be nice now. I'm like, mm, are you sure? Because, listen, she's kind of a murderer. It's really cool to see a girl in that role. I mean, yeah, that was neat. That was really cool. I really like Veronica, despite the fact that she is a murderer. But at the same time, it's poor, rich girl, right? All of her rebellion comes from her parents being clueless and her friends being bullies. There are other people in that school that were in much worse situations than Veronica. But she she knows what she's doing and because there is this one great line that she writes in her diary. She, like she madly, furiously writes down in her diary that my teen angst bullshit has a body count. 
And that's basically what this movie is about. It's about Ching Eng's bullshit with a body count. So the school here was a character because we see a lot of scenes from where the teachers are having conferences with each other. It was just very weird watching this movie in 2018. Public school in America is where it's supposed to be where kids in America find access to education and opportunity and success. But at the same time, they're having to navigate this really toxic culture. Do you try to work within the system to make it better? Or do you blow it up? And Veronica tries both. She has a little taste of blowing it up, decides she doesn't like it, and then she's like, We're, I'm going to improve it from the inside out. What a metaphor for 2018. <laughs> the one thing about this movie is that I think it holds up as a piece of commentary and like as a film. Of course, like cultural references are outdated, but as a story, it holds together. I've seen this movie like a few times since I was a kid, but I rewatched it and I was like riveted. I was like really into what was happening on the screen, which is really hard for me unless I'm in a theater and I'm a captive audience and can't like knit or something. And so it's one of those 1980s movies that I think still has something to teach us about being a teenager or feeling powerless. I agree with that. It's one of the best rewatches that we have done. There are some things, like you said, that are outdated. I would hope that, well, especially if you watch the new comedies, for example, To All the Boys I Loved Before, and you see the cliques at high school, they are completely different now. The stereotypes have become more nuanced. But I also think that Heather's deliberately drove home the distinctions between different groups. They really leaned into the stereotype in order to like draw distinctions between the different groups and the power that they held within the school. To go back, JD and Veronica like met each other once, had some greetings and salutations. And then he shows up at her house and then they bang. And there is no, like, shaming. It's just, like, it's fine. Girl just having sex is not a big deal. I was very surprised. I did not remember that. Unfortunately, she's sleeping with the enemy. There's also, like, a thread of commentary about parental attention. Veronica's parents, even the way they're filmed, they're very checked out. It's very theatrical in a way. And every time she sits down to have a meal with them, it's always in the same setting, the same positions. The conversations are always the same. They just seem very oblivious to the real Veronica. And then you get uh, JD's dad, who is disturbing. And I really think that where are the parents is the question. Because even when the parents are there, they're not actually there. They're not paying attention. And another thing is that they seem so much older if you watch teenage movie these days, the parents are younger and cooler. And also like more checked into their kids' lives. So is that a cultural interpretation of what was happening in the United States in 1990s, in the late 80s? I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I know that parenthood in the U.S. has changed a whole lot. Back when I grew up, I was running all over town by myself. I would just get on my bike and go and ride around town and and play by myself. I was a pretty independent kid, and I'd just be home before dark. Now, I feel like if I did that, somebody would call Child Protective Services. Because obviously, if, it's, if the kid's by himself, the parents are not taking care of the kid, instead of it just being the kid learning how to be a person in the world. But there's like some kind of happy medium, I think, between that. But the U.S. just went hard. Literally, we've changed our the structural design of our homes. People will go into the house, and they're like, I want open concept. What open concept means is that 
the the parents who were in the li- in the kitchen making dinner or whatever wanted the kids to be in the living room sitting there so they can watch them. Like I really like the idea of open concept, but I also find the implications of what it means. Like parents want to have eyes on their children at all times. Kids don't get privacy. Very disturbing. I feel like maybe U.S. culture overcorrected. Like parents were sort of checked out. They weren't paying attention. Kids were struggling. Like, parents weren't teaching kids how to human properly, so they just grew up into these sociopathic monsters. From there, we've overcorrected. On another side of it is that, from my understanding, there were a number of crimes where little girls or little boys were kidnapped, and it was when people became more aware of pedophilia, too. It was in the late 80s, and, and I think that might have impacted that, too. Could be. There's just a lot happening in this movie that I wasn't expecting, and so I wasn't, like, ready to process it. Like, I'm still thinking about this film, even though it's been, like, over a week since I've seen it. And I'm really still processing the commentary on suicide. I mean, I knew it was there, so I was prepared going in, but it's different to prepare going in to know that the um, um, a film is going to, like, really dig into the topic, and then to experience it digging into the topic. The movie is making this commentary about how we sensationalize this type of violence that people will do to themselves. We're in such a different cultural moment right now when it comes to suicide. It's been kind of a, been difficult for me to process what this movie was trying to say about it. And I still probably need to think about it a little bit more. I think probably was trying to say what most people have come to the realization. Because most of the crimes were shown as suicides in the in the movie and then that crea- creates i guess a feeling of glorification of glorifying suicide because it becomes like interviews and um sens- sens- sensationalizing it and you have eulogies at the school and you have special things at schools and then at that point in time kids who were feeling left out by their parents or who were being bullied at school and felt that they didn't have a place probably saw this as the best possible scenario for them. And uh, we know now that that's exactly the type of thing that suicide prevention centers try to avoid and say this shouldn't be like this. Uh, It makes me think of 13 Reasons Why, the Netflix show, which was so dragged because it glorifies the suicide. And that's a counterpoint to this movie, I think. We finally recognize that suicide is one of those things that is catching, which I think this movie tries to deal with. I just don't think it has enough time to like really go in on it. And that by glorifying it, you make it more, you make it more viral. When it's in the news, it could trigger people who are already sick or have been sick before, and they might relapse. Mm. Also, the anarchist blew himself up. I forgot that. I totally missed, somehow, that he blew himself up. I forgot about the murder of the jocks, of the two guys. I thought it was only Heather's. I also found that pretty disturbing. The suicides that are not suicides, actually. The movie didn't really go into this. It sort of touched on it with the jocks. The cop took one look at the scene. Instead of doing an actual investigation, he made a lot of assumptions. And so we can assume it had the same thing happen with Heather. The cops came, looked at her note, and was just like, oh, look, poor little rich girl was sad and just offed herself. The cop, when he finds the boys, is super derogatory, right? Even in death, authority doesn't really take teenagers seriously. And definitely not what they assume to be gay teenagers. Seriously. Heather's actually managed to be a little creepy, even though it wasn't like a horror movie. Especially when JG starts to 
really truly spiral. It's a lot of sexual harassment there too. Yeah, this movie needs like a zillion trigger warnings. This, I still really like this film. See why it holds up. Five space bees. I agree. Ten space bees for this one. So Heather's 1988 still holds up and also has everybody's fave from Stranger Things, Winona Ryder. This movie was very. So because this episode was being recorded while we're really busy, I decided that we would just answer some questions. First, a quick shout out to Sarah, who apparently just finished our entire backlist. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm really sorry for the audio problems from the beginning. Yeah, we had some we had some audio issues. We still have some audio issues, but we're working on it. First question from Ellen. I missed you, though you were both off doing important work and I'm super proud of you. What have you been reading, watching, doing, listening to for self-care in these trying times? Anna, what's up? I think I've talked about this before. I just like to watch procedurals and read crime novels and watch crime shows and listen to true crime podcasts. I've watched the entire run. There were nine seasons of Lewis, which is like this really very basic procedural that was on ITV for many, many years. I watched Prime Suspect. I've been watching a lot of CSI Special Victims Unit. I've been reading a lot of crime novels. I, lo- I read one called Before the Fall by the guy, I forgot his name now, Noah something. He is one of the writers of the Fargo TV show. And I thought that novel was splendid. I really, truly loved it. And I sat listening to a true crime podcast called In the Dark, which is the one that follows a cold case of this boy that was murdered in 1989. He was kidnapped. He disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to him uh, for 26 years until the murderer confessed. And the podcast looks at all the mistakes that were made by the investigation. It's really fascinating. I really like it. I've also actually managed to read a lot in the past couple of weeks or months even, because it's been a while since we recorded um, our last episode. And one of the books that I liked the most was Damsel by Ilana K. Arnold. I wouldn't say it's a retelling but it's a fairy tale that looks at the trope of the girl that has been, the Denzel that has been kidnapped by a dragon and is kept in a tower and the prince comes and rescue her. And it's the most terrifying novel that I have read this year because it looks at how we look at heroes, how we look at Denzels and what we, we expect from both of them. And it's very, very triggery too. It has a, the most glorious ending because it's so gory, but in the right way. Right, when what about you? What have you been up to? I know that you've been really busy with your campaign. Turns out when you work on a congressional campaign, you don't have time for a lot of stuff. However, one of my friends has been super generous and has let me borrow her library card. I have access to way more audiobooks. I can do audio because if I can listen to audiobooks while I'm working, and that's pretty much what I've been doing. And as far as like self-care stuff, I have been watching Sailor Moon, the anime. Zach's watching it too with me. I have been also watching Voltron. It's very gay. 
I know. I watched the first season. Need to catch up with the rest of it. I'm just like, every time these two characters are on screen together, I'm like, this is gay. It's just very simple and like not stressful. I like it a whole lot. We've also started Doctor Who. <gasps> oh, yes. No, I mean, we were starting it again because we quit because I got so angry at it. Because I quit like right after Amy and Rory. I was pissed and I quit. Basically, I think we watched the Christmas special where Daniel Louise Coleman was introduced, but then after that, I was done. We picked it up again. We just finished the Christmas special from 2017, I think, where Peter Capaldi takes over. I just completely did not watch any of the Peter Capaldi Doctor Who. I started watching the new one because of Jodie Whittaker, who is amazing. I feel like I have lost nothing. So if you don't want to watch the Peter Capaldi run, don't do it. Just go straight to Jodie. We'll see. Because it depends on what's available. All right. I don't know. I find Doctor Who a little bit stressful, but also not because it always turns out fine. Book-wise, I read The Consuming Fire by John Scalzi, and it made me so happy. Oh, good. I need to read that. It made me so happy, Anna. Although there's a cliffhanger again. But it made me so happy. I love this series so much. And I read the sequel to one of my favorite fantasy novels from last year, The Bone Witch. The sequel is The Heart Forger by Ren Chipeko. These are like why epic fantasies, and they are amazing. I love, I like, I love this series. I can't wait to see where it goes next. It has queer characters, and it has women being amazing. I really like her books. I've been knitting some, knitting some stuff, some scarves that I owe people. Hello. And also, I've been. Building a lot of houses in The Sims. Building houses in The Sims. It's been great. Especially when I get stuck on a problem. Like if I'm trying to make something or solve something. If I just sit down and take 30 minutes and go into The Sims and build a house and think about the problem. By the time I finish the house in 30 minutes, I know know what to do. I know how to solve the problem. Actually, considering the question was about how, what do we do to de-stress, right? To decompress. The most important thing that I started doing is that I started going to therapy. Highly recommend. Yeah, so it's been four sessions now, and uh, I really love my therapist. Um, she's great. We have a good report. Every time I step down in the office, I'm like a little pressure cooker, ready to explode, and then I offload, and then I go back into the world, and then I go back again. I'm a pressure cooker again, and then I offload. And I... She, um, she also uses a lot of mindfulness, in her therapy so she's been giving me tips on how to you know cope with stress so next question is from kate have you read an absolutely remarkable thing by hank green yet no i have not anna have you confession time i did not even know hank green had a book out that's how the world is right now i have not read it yet i do own it i did buy a copy like immediately is it fiction it's fiction he wrote a book it's got robots apparently what i know hank green yeah Okay, so you're going to read it, and if it's good, you're going to tell me, then maybe I'll read it too. The answer to that one is definitely no. Neither of us has read it, but I'm going to, and hopefully, if it's short enough, Anna will soon. Womble asks, while you were away, which book really stood out for you? I really, really loved Seiji by Courtney Summers, and I loved the way that it uses our obsession with real crime podcasts and the death of a girl. They actually really released the podcast before the novel. So you can listen to six episodes of the podcast leading up to the novel. The podcast is called The Girls. It's still available. You can download it. And then you read the novel. And of course, you have a completely different take. 
and the novel has excerpts from the podcast, but then you, when you come to read those excerpts while reading from the girl's perspective, then the podcast has a completely different meaning. The way that the investigation is done, the way that people talk about the girl, because you read, you listen to it before you read from her perspective, you create an image of the girl, because that's what the image of the, the, everybody around her have of her. You go and you read from Sadie's perspective and she's going out in the world to kill the man who killed her sister. But then she disappears herself. So the podcast investigates Sadie and then we go and read the novel and we see what happens to her leading to her disappearance. So it's a very gut-punching novel, but I think it's one that is important for us to read. So that is one of the novels that stood with me. I've read I read it a couple of months ago. I have not been able to write a review yet because I don't know how to write a review for this novel. But I really loved it and I loved the way that it uses the podcast as something that you can listen to before you read the novel. Both of them are available at the same time now. So if you have any interest, I recommend first listen to the podcast, then read the novel. The book that stood out to me is not a book, it's a series. It's obviously the Murderbot series by Martha Wells. Because they're all, all four of them are out now. And I have gotten through three of them. They continue to stand out for me. I continue to think about them. They continue to make me just really, really happy. They remind me of why I care about people. Even people that disagree with everything I stand for and think I'm garbage. They just remind me of humanity, which is really funny, considering... It's a series about a murder bot. Then there's going to be an actual novel. And I'm very, very curious where she's going to take it. I'm very excited for this novel. It's probably not even halfway written yet. I don't even know when it's coming out. But I'm very excited for it. The next three questions are from Susan. Susan asks, what color are space bees? Sparkly gray. I think space bees are the same black stripe color. But their bodies can be different, different sparkly colors. And their wings are iridescent. So they're rainbow. I like your space bees better than mine. I mean, I bet we can make yours pretty too. As long as they sparkle. That's the requirement for space bees. They have to sparkle. I downloaded a pattern earlier this year before everything exploded for a little plush space bee. And I was like, I could turn this into a space bee. I would just need the fabric for it. And I literally spent a lot of time debating on what type of fabric I would be using for these bees. (laughs) Next, what is your favorite thing about your co-presenter? My favorite thing about Renee is that she's the smartest person I know. Oh, that's nice. My favorite thing about Anna is her generosity and patience. Ah, do you really think I'm, I'm patient and generous? That's nice. You really think I'm the smartest person you know? Yes, you taught me so much. You woke me. You woke me up. She did this on purpose, you realize. She did this on purpose. I love you, Renee. I love you too, Anna. We see you, Susan. And we also love you too. Yes. And her last question, what thing are you most looking forward to before the end of the year? The end of the year. I'm so ready for 2018 to be done. I'm trying to think. Do we have any movies coming out that I'm looking forward to? Not really. Uh, I think what I'm looking forward to the most is that I ordered volumes one and two of Space Battle Lunchtime from my comic shop. Haven't you read the first one? I have read the first one. I don't own it, but I'm going to now. Excellent. 
That's all the questions we had. Thanks for asking questions, guys. Yay! You've gotten a slight update on where we are in media. It feels good to be back. Hello, Pod. Hello, Anna. Hi, Renee. Hello, Pod Hive. Our show art is by Ira. Ira is brilliant, and you can tell them I told you so on Twitter by tweeting them a pun of some kind. They love puns. They sure do. Our music is by Chucky Beats and Boxcat Games. Our transcripts, which our transcription Queen Susan has been faithfully completing, even though we both have been away putting out fires, can be found at fangirlhappyhour.com. There will be more soon, because there will be more episodes soon. Fingers crossed. It will happen. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listen to this. You haven't been drinking water, have you? Go, go get some water. Do it. Water. Do it. Thank you. I, on the other hand, don't have anything nice to say, because after the Brazilian elections, my hopes for the world are currently as dead as democracy in Brazil. Thank you for your patience with us, Space Bees. We miss you. See you next episode. Feelings. Oh, feelings. (laughs) Your Coke bottle is still there. Yeah, I mean, actually, how many how many days has it been? What's it? 304 days with no soda. Excellent. Of course, I have been eating garbage, because who has time to cook? I think I get to choose the book for next time, however. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is very fair. Just let me know what we want to read. I'm really interested to hear your uh, feelings about. Why? Because you have feelings. I want to hear them. I mean, I guess I couldn't end in the theater. Is that cool? Did they let you do that? No, no, I'm curious. Do you want me to spoil the ending for you? No, I don't. Oh, damn. Let's try, though.